Welcome to the Hayes Salespeople Podcast, where we talk to the brightest minds in modern sales and get their tips and advice on all things sales. I'm your interim host, Jenna Sachs from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, I'm excited to welcome Doug Cole to the podcast. Hey, Doug. Hey, how are you, Jenna? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, Doug is an enterprise sales leader at LinkedIn, which I don't think we need to go into what LinkedIn is. Um, He's also a part-time business school lecturer, and he's a recent author of The Sales MBA, How to Influence Corporate Buyers. So, Doug, we like to start off with um, an icebreaker. would love to know just a fun fact about you. Yeah, I'm a secret fan of Hello Kitty. And uh, it all started a number of years ago. I was in Japan visiting a friend and we went out for dinner with this guy who was a former kickboxing champion, actually very well known. And we sat down for dinner and he answered his cell phone at a certain point. And I noticed this really cute Hello Kitty thing dangling off the edge of the cell phone. And I just remember thinking it was such an interesting and funny detail because, you know, here was this ultra tough guy who had this you know, this really cutesy trinket attached to his cell phone. And it was such a, a humanizing detail uh, that uh, you know, ever since then, I've just been interested in the brand and I continue to accumulate Hello Kitty stuff on the side. How much Hello Kitty stuff are we talking? We're, we're, just, talking about, we're just talking about, you know, stickers and a few, you know, gugas here and there. Yeah, I love that. I think, uh, you know, it shows that people are way more than what they're exterior image may be, or maybe there's just a little bit more complexity in that image. So you recently became an author uh, of the sales MBA, how to influence corporate buyers. Uh, How did that come about just from your experience? You know, where did this, this idea for this book start? Yeah, it, I remember once I was given advice by someone who 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 is an actual author, <laughs> as opposed to the aspiring author that I was at the time, and he said he said the really only the reason why you would want to write a book is if it's more painful not to write it than it is to write it because you have to understand that if you're going to write this thing, it is going to just eat up a lot of your life and it's going to be quite a burden. And I had reached a point where I felt I had to write this book because I had just accidentally created this feedback loop in my job where I was, I was creating this mini MBA for sales for the, the global sales team at LinkedIn. And it just reached a point where I, I felt it was very natural at a certain stage because of the feedback I've received, I had received and because of the way I've been iterating the content with all these different audiences, I just thought, okay, I need to find some way to codify this, you know, and just to, to make it a slightly more refined packaged product, you know, in the form of a book. And I just felt I had to do it. So so that's that's where the idea came from. It just was a uh, it's something that emerged organically from something from my side project at LinkedIn, effectively. That's awesome. I think you know it takes a lot to write a book, any kind of book, um, a lot of time, especially when you have a full time job and you're also doing some side projects at that full time job. So that's that's pretty impressive. What was the you know the main point that you're trying to drive home in all of this? Yeah, I basically I was just trying to come up with a, a comprehensive theory of the game for enterprise sales. Essentially, you know this this phrase that I'm using, theory of the game. I'm actually borrowing that quite deliberately from one of LinkedIn's founders, Reid Hoffman. He, he has this he has this phrase. He, he talks about how you know in any complex domain, it's 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 really important to have a theory of the game. You're an understanding of why the dynamics are the way they are and and how to be successful. You know, in light of that theory. And I think that within sales, I was always looking to to figure this out. I was trying to understand what's really going on in these sales conversations, particularly with enterprise buyers, because that was the the primary focus uh, of my work and of my team's work. And 
And what I ultimately came to conclude is that for any sales conversation in a B2B context, you, know, you basically have these three overlapping dimensions at any given time. You know, first of all, you have the external dimension, which is how is that company competing in the external environment? How is it positioning itself relative to competitors? Then you have this organizational component, which is you know, what is top of mind? What are the themes that are commanding attention within that organization? Who are the most influential, influential people? So you have that organizational piece. And then the final is this interpersonal piece, you know, the, the actual cares and concerns and preoccupations of the person you're talking to. So at any given time, no matter whether it's a discovery call or whether it's a, you know, executive briefing, mm -hmm. that sales conversation involves the overlap of these three dimensions, external, organizational, and interpersonal. And so I wanted to write a book that sort of spelled this out in, uh, in a, an accessible way. Okay. So when we're talking about these, these three realms, right, where, where do you start? Well, I think the most appropriate place to start is with the external. So if you're, if you're trying to sell to a company, you're trying to sell to a company buyer, corporate buyer, the first thing you have to understand about that company is what, what, where are they competing as a company and how will they win as a company? These are the two questions that I think are most critical for the strategy piece or the external piece. You know, the, the external environment is basically the company's strategy and strategy is a very complex topic that gets written about uh, if people use the term strategy in all kinds of different ways. But fundamentally, a company's strategy is all about making a, uh, a series of choices and trade-offs with respect to how that company is going to compete. And so when I'm, what I'm suggesting is that when you are preparing your, 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 for a call or discovery call or for a pitch or executive briefing, briefing with a, a company, it's really important to understand where does that company compete? What is the area of the market that they've chosen to focus on? You know, what is, what are the trade-offs essentially that they've made and how will they win? What are the distinct advantages of this company? relative to its competition within that space. And so the most important question I think to start off with is to have some sense of, of, of these two questions and, and, and to be able to go in with a hypothesis as to how your product or your service can help this company compete and win within that space. Yeah. I mean, it sounds so easy when you say it, but I feel like a lot of the time I've been approached personally as a buyer, right? It's not necessarily people trying to look at what is my company strategy? Where do we fit in the competitive market? Mm -hmm. You do get a little bit of that, right? You do have people that know your competitors, know that space. Um, but it's a lot of the time it's focusing on, okay, how do we create the pain for our product to fit in without really understanding what the overall company does? Sounds easy, but I, I, it's not something that I've seen in ev consistently in every single call that I've gotten or, you know, coworkers or friends at, you know, it's, it's just not something super prevalent. Yeah. And it, it, it isn't it, absolutely right. It is not super prevalent. It, it's, it's relatively uncommon because it's hard. It's, it's not easy to, to do this, but you know, it, it's not at the same time, it's not rocket science. I mean, I, I remember there was a story that a rep told me about, uh, about his experience of, Sort of learning this this core principle of strategy, and he told me about the transition that he made from his previous role to his current role. And when he came into that, the now current role, he was determined to sell much more strategically than he had been. And so, what he did was he just paid a lot of attention to what was being said in the earnings calls and the earnings transcripts, 
And what he noticed, one of the first things that he noticed was that an executive member of the team was answering questions from the analyst community. And one of the questions he was asked was, why do people buy from you? And he talked about three things. And one of the things that he mentioned was that our team is, is seen as trusted advisors. And that actually gave him a, an actionable hypothesis to test with his discovery calls because he was telling a content management solution to this, this large global company. And their team, in order to be able to position themselves as, as trusted advisors, they presumably needed the content to be credible with their clients at, at exactly the right time. You know, in live engagements and for proposals. And, and so he just simply went around the company and he talked to a bunch of people and he asked them whether they felt that they had the information when they needed it in, in order to be perceived as trusted advisors. And he quickly learned that people were quite dissatisfied with, with the services that they were getting and that they often felt quite compromised and exposed when they were talking to clients because they didn't feel that they were living up to this promise of being a trusted advisor. And so he was able to go back to senior members within marketing and otherwise and say, listen, I've heard what you said in this earnings call. I've heard that this is clearly something that you are trying to position as a competitive advantage. I've talked to a whole bunch of people in the company, and they all confirm that this is not true, that many of them don't, in fact, feel as if they're able to position themselves as trusted advisors. This is how we can help, right? So that was, that was I think, a, just a, a crystal clear example of someone who was taking a very strategic approach to selling. And it was based on just ans asking this very simple question, where do they compete? How do they win? How can I help them win? I, I do love that. So then, I mean, if that's the, the first piece, and I think that's something that happens on every call, right? That's not just doing your homework before that initial discovery call. It's following the company. It's understanding any changes that they're going through. Um, listening to earnings calls too, right? A lot of people don't think about that. Um, what's next? You're obviously, that's an ongoing thing. It sounds like all of these are ongoing pieces of this. How do you then tie that into the other pieces? Yeah, I mean, in each of these realms, what I'm trying to do in the book is I'm trying to boil a very complex topic down to a couple of questions. So we just talked about the two questions for the external environment or the strategy piece. And for the organizational piece, uh, what I'm suggesting is that the two most important questions are, where is the energy coming from in this company? And how can I feed that energy as a sales rep? So here is, you know, again, it's probably just best illustrated in the form of a story, you know, as, as opposed to just telling you conceptually. And so I, I can I can tell you about this one rep I, I spoke to who was working with a company. And she she realized that there was... A lot, there were a lot of change initiatives on the go, which is, of course, the case with any company these days. But she wanted to find out the one that was most critical for her purposes and, and the one that was most dominant in light of what she could potentially offer. And so she had, she spoke to a number of people and she realized that they had this sort of telco 2.0 vision that they were trying to promote at the company, all hands at, in, in, the, in the local team meetings. You know, it was just a, this was one of the most important themes that was being constantly reinforced in all these different contexts. And so she, what she did was she, what she wanted to position her product or, or solution as something was, which was directly supportive of that internal initiative. And so she, she framed her, her product in such a way that she was going to teach a very specific, very small number of skills that were directly linked to that, to that initiative. The opposite approach would have been to try to explain to an organization, hey, 
I know this is not really on your mind right now, but here's why it should be on your mind. And here are all the reasons why you should pay attention to it. Instead, what she was what she was doing was what's already getting a lot of attention, what's already commanding the the focus of, of all the leaders and the teams within this company. And how can I just make it easier for them to do that thing, which is getting all the attention? How can I simplify my own value proposition so that it's very explicitly linked to that initiative? And, and so when I talk about the, the organizational dimension, what I'm trying to do is 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 encourage a focus on those key questions. And then I'm using a, um, a sort of best in class change management framework that I think is useful for the sales rep, who's effectively a kind of change agent. You know, if you're if you're if you're a seller, you're you're trying to instigate and you're trying to facilitate change within that organization. And so I'm I'm offering a a, 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 a well-regarded change framework to support that. Yeah, I love that. Also loving all the stories. I mean it shows that it's actionable, right? This is not just here's the list of things you should do, right? It's here's how people actually saw results getting there. Um, and, and I think, you know, a, a lot of people, I, I've had a lot of different guests on here, a lot of people talking about the art versus the science of selling and, you know, very much on the personable side, but the strategy that's underlying it and, and catering that, especially for an enterprise sale, catering that to each individual company that you're going for is I, I think the hardest piece, right? Yeah, absolutely. The the interpersonal piece is 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 the third is the third component for sure, and, and it is it is probably one of the most complex of of these three because it well it is I would say the most complex of these three because the interpersonal component is the one that involves all the individual nuances of any given person. For this interpersonal section, uh, I was I was trying to bring in some a little bit of theory from behavioral economics for the benefit of your, of your readers who or listeners who don't um, know what that means. Behavioral economics is, is a branch of economics that emerged relatively recently. And it, it came about because people realized that traditional economics was making some incorrect assumptions about human nature. <laughs> the, uh, the standard assumption uh, was that people at the individual level and at the, at, the, at the societal level, that people made decisions based on rational considerations and rational criteria. And behavioral economics came and on the scene and said, this is clearly not true. And, um, and so I think that the, the framework that the behavioral economics uh, school of thought uses is directly applicable to sales because what behavioral economics basically argues is that the way we decide is, is limited. It's limited by sort of boundaries around our attention. It's limited by the boundaries around just how rational we can be. And it's, and it's limited by these, these boundaries around just how self-interested we, we are at the end of the day. And, and so I think that those three boundaries are, are extremely relevant to the sales professional, because if you think about what a seller is really trying to do, a seller is first of all trying to get a buyer's attention. So it's, you know, they're working within that, within those bounds of attention. Then the, the seller is trying to get a buyer to make a judgment about your product or service, which implies that you're working within these bounds of rationality. And then the, the, the seller is trying to get that buyer to take action, to do something, which talk, which, which implicates that person's self-interest. So I think that what I've noticed in this realm, and again, just by way of story, is that the, the reps that I've seen most successful, they have this, they're basically intuitively astute when it comes to human psychology. And, you know, so one of the examples I remember when I was talking to this top performing rep, and he was talking about how he was trying to 
you're trying to sell a pilot program to to a, a client, and it, it wasn't getting much traction with the concept of a pilot program because it was just perceived as an incremental effort that they just didn't want to undertake. And so he was looking for a way to to reframe it, you know, to 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 describe essentially the same thing, but in in language that was more attractive to the the client. And so he just he took an ex- a bit of a different approach, and he said to a different set of stakeholders, he said, "What I think we should do is we should launch a, a champion program." So he didn't use the term pilot. He said, "I think we should launch a champion program with the purpose of building a critical mass of supporters, so that when we do roll out the larger program." It's going to be that much more successful. It's going to deliver value that, sh- that much more quickly because we're going to have built up a group of champions who are going to provide that critical mass of advocacy for the for the new program. And so, so that that I think was a an, a really example, a really good example of how the best salespeople are very creative and they're 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 very strong, intuitive psychologists with respect to the way they they frame information and communicate it. Yeah, I like that because it's not again, it's not just here's how to build a relationship. It's here to, is how to be creative, right? Example. And it's a great example of how creativity. And I mean, for me, I was a psych minor. I use that way more in my day-to-day in business than my public relations journalism major. Yeah. I mean, sales is, uh, I've I've often thought that sales is just fundamentally strategy, psychology, and systems. Those are the, those, those are what sales is really fundamentally about. You know, you have to understand how companies compete and when you have to understand how human beings decide and you have to have some systematic way of thinking about operationalizing your sales system, either as an individual contributor or as a sales team. Uh, so there, there is that systemic or systematic component to it. I love the systematic component being RevOps. Um, so, uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of really good stuff in the book. This was just a, a little snippet, but how would you look at everything that you've written about and just all of your experiences in today's economy and, and how things may be changing in the world of B2B SaaS? Well, I think the single most important insight with respect to the current environment probably comes from a recent study that LinkedIn did in the 2022 state of sales. And LinkedIn did this really interesting survey of 1,500 top performers. And there were some really interesting findings that LinkedIn discovered about these top performers. And one of them was that they are actually somewhat paradoxically spending less time selling than their counterparts. They're, they're actually happy to sac- sacrifice even a little bit of, the, of sale, selling time in order to optimize for the qual- quality of the time that they do have. And, uh, and what they're doing is that they're just they're being much more deliberate about taking their shots based on having done more research and really figured out what is likely to to resonate with their with their prospect or their client, and so I think that everything that we're talking about is right on point for for that. You know, I think that if you are a top performing seller, one of the habits that LinkedIn has identified is that you are spending more time researching and preparing your point of view than an average seller. Yeah, it sounds like, especially with the the economy and just the climate overall you do need a little bit more research, even if you've been doing research before discovery calls and all of that, there's, there's probably more going on and then you can see on the surface, right? And, and even if they don't, you don't get that from the internet, what are they saying? And then what do they mean? What does that mean for their organization? Where, what's the state of where they are so that I can know how to approach it the best way? It's also an important 
moment to just differentiate yourself from another aspect of the current environment, which is that you know, one of the unfortunate consequences of, of COVID was that it just it dramatically increased the volume of outbound messaging that, it, that is coming at buyers and, it, and therefore made just the vast majority of outreach incredibly superficial and shallow. And uh, I, I think that uh, this approach that we're talking about is, is, is just the opposite of that. It's, it's a deep approach to, to how you think about your client. And if you can bring that depth to the conversation, you will, you will stand out head and shoulders above the superficial noise that most buyers are being exposed to these days. I get way too many messages to count every day that are just generic mail merge. Um, some of them, you know, some of them are, are almost laughable. It, it, just the the way that it's positioned, right? It's so impersonal that it it's it's almost insulting. Um, but you know, I think that extra level of really understanding what's going on, or, or trying to understand, or showing that you want to understand is is a game changer. And that's stuff that I'm more likely to respond to. I completely agree. And it's and it's not hard, or sorry, it's not easy. I should say it, it is hard, and, and it does require some some deliberate decisions about, you know, who your most important clients are, you know, maybe it's unavoidable that for some portion of your book, you know, there has to be you know, a, a lighter touch, but because you just don't have the time, but you do need to decide which accounts matter. And they're the ones who require this deeper approach for sure. Of course. Yeah. It's impossible to do it with all of them, especially yeah. with how much time you're spending. Um, but it doesn't mean that you can't have those targets and those big bets. Cause that's, what's going to get you to your quota at the end of the day. As we're wrapping up, um, any last thoughts or you know advice that you would give to somebody trying to to start off with this more strategic approach? I mean, I think that the the big thing with sales, it, sales is very much a mental game. You know, it's 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 such a tough job in the sense that you do go through you go through a lot of ups and downs, a lot of adversity, a lot of rejection. And I think that um, one of the most critical pieces to get right for sales person is just how, how you see yourself. What's, what's, the, what's the language you use to describe your role? And what I'm trying to do in this book is, is elevate the sales profession in a sense. I, I'm trying to argue that the salesperson, when they're doing their job correctly, is working as a strategist, as a change agent, as a decision architect. I mean, that's, that's the essence of the job. You know, it, you're not just an order taker. You know, you're not just a pest. So and I think that um, that's one parting piece of advice is just to change your mindset. You know, think of yourself as being, you know, more, more, uh, more strategic, you know, than, than maybe you did before. I love that. Um, so if somebody does want to find your book, where is, where is this available for them? Best place is Amazon. And that is by far the easiest. And yeah, I'm, I also have a, a newsletter. So if you go to thesalesmba.ca, then uh, you can sign up to the newsletter and get uh, other content there. But the best place for the book is Amazon. Okay, great. And um, I'm assuming LinkedIn, you know, if somebody does want to reach out to you or learn more about what you do either at LinkedIn and your um, you know, business lecturing or, or as an author, um, is that the best place? I think so. Yeah, best channel would be LinkedIn. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and, you know, uh, looking forward to, I'm looking forward to looking more into the book and, and understanding more about the, the approach you're taking. Um, and hopefully, you know, some of our listeners too will you know, have gotten something great out of this and, and, and learned a lot. Well, thank you so much, Jenna. It's a pleasure. I'm your host, Jenna Sachs. 
This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Sales People podcast.